There are three readings today. The first reading is from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, and this can be found on page 13 of the Church Bibles. Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to a land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. The second reading is from Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 to 8, and that is on page 17 of the Church Bibles. Genesis 17, verses 1 to 8. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. The final reading is from Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. And this is on page 1000 of the Church Bibles. Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
After nine years, we've reached the end of our teaching off and on in Matthew's Gospel. When I said that last week, I think some people thought that we had been working on Matthew's Gospel and nothing else for the last nine years, which would be quite heavy going. But off and on, interspersed with other things, we've been working through Matthew um, these last few years. And uh, today is the second of three weeks um, reflecting on those last few verses we just read. Um, what's often called the Great Commission at the end of Matthew's Gospel. And the central command of the Great Commission is there in verse 19, make disciples of all nations. Make disciples of all nations. It's the responsibility of Christians to tell other people about Jesus so that they too follow him. Next week we'll be thinking about how we do that and what exactly our role is in that. But I wonder how that command makes you feel. How do you feel when you hear that command, make disciples of all nations? I think there are a couple of reasons why we might feel uncomfortable with it. The first is that it might sound arrogant. Who are we to tell other people what they should believe? Surely our religion or our kind of philosophy, our worldview is a very personal thing. It has to be an individual's choice. Maybe making disciples of all nations sounds too much like Christian empire building. We don't convert heathen nations by force these days. Surely we respect people's own choices rather than try to get them to follow our religion. And the other thing we might think when we hear make disciples of all nations is daunted, overwhelmed by the responsibility. In a world where the exclusive and universal claims of Jesus are regarded as unacceptable, thinking that we have to make disciples, well, we think that it's gonna threaten our social standing, our comfort, our personal security. And so actually it can be a bit of a relief if we can find a reason to argue that it isn't really our responsibility, that actually it's an outdated, arrogant view that doesn't have a place in modern society. Last week, we saw that the whole of of Matthew's gospel has been building up to the Great Commission at the end of Matthew. Today, I want to go one step further and persuade you that the whole Bible has been building up to this point. In fact, I want to persuade you that if you don't accept the Great Commission, then you haven't really understood the gospel at all. That's a big claim, I know. We don't have time to read the whole Bible this morning, but I'm going to take you on a a whistle-stop tour of some of the key um, passages. And I've put some of the main references um, on your handout, on the inside of your service sheet. Uh, So you can follow along um, in your Bible if you want to. Or if you prefer just to listen, then that's fine too. Let's start with God's original plan. And uh, to see that, we're going to turn right back to Genesis chapter 1, right back at the beginning of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, the very first page of the Bible itself. And before the six days of creation, we're told two things about the earth. We're told that it was formless and it was empty. Chapter one, 
Verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And so God spent three days of the creation week giving the earth form. He separated the, um, the, the, the the light from the dark, the waters above from the waters below, and then he separated the waters from the land. Three days of separation, of ordering. And then he spent the next three days filling that formed or ordered world. He filled the heavens with stars, the moon and the sun. He filled the sea with fish and the sky with birds. And he filled the earth with living creatures. And then at the end of the sixth day, he made mankind to continue that work of forming and filling. You can see down there in verse 26 at the bottom of that same page, God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Do you see there that God's purpose was to form, to bring order uh, to the earth or or to rule it, um, that earth that was originally chaos and formless, and then to fill what was originally empty or void. And this is what was happening when Jesus told his disciples to make disciples of all nations. It was bringing order and filling, filling the world with disciples. And the disciples are people who are under the rule of the ultimate man, King Jesus, ordering and filling at the Great Commission. If you take just one thing away from today, I want it to be this. The work of making disciples of all nations, the work of the Great Commission, is the original creation work of forming and filling the earth. But we can't go straight there from Genesis straight to the end of Matthew. You might have noticed there's quite a lot of Bible in between. Uh, The first humans, Adam and Eve, overturned God's order and they listened to a creature, a snake, instead of listening to God. It led to rebellion and disorder. And as a result of their ability to fill the earth was harmed. There was going to be pain in childbirth and even worse, death came into the world. And so God's original plan was disrupted, was dislocated. But even in the early chapters of Genesis, we're promised that it would be remade. In chapter 12, which June read for us, we're told about a man called Abram, who would receive, instead of the curse of the fall, he was going to receive God's blessing. Not only Abram, but also his offspring, his descendants. In Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3, 
God says to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. A bit further on in chapter 17, he elaborates on that promise. 17 verse 4. God says to Abraham, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abraham. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. Do you see those themes of filling the earth and ordering the earth? And then just over the page in 18, verse 18, we get a key phrase for the first time, which comes up again in the Great Commission about uh, all nations. 18, verse 18, Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all nations on earth. The phrase in Greek is pantata ethne, which comes up again and again through the Bible. Pantata ethne, all nations on earth will be blessed through him. The whole of the rest of the Old Testament is the search for the descendants of Abraham who will receive God's blessing, who will be brought by him to form and filling. To start with, it looks like God will fulfill that promise through one nation in particular. The nation of Israel is emphasized again and again as distinct from all the other nations. They're rescued from the powerful nation of Egypt at the Exodus. They conquer the nations in the land of Canaan. They're led by King David and his descendants, but they keep rebelling again and again and again. Disorder and death keep preventing them from ordering and filling the earth. A new approach is needed. And that new approach comes with the new covenant as it becomes clear that the physical descendants of Abraham, the nation of Israel, are failing to bring order and fill the earth, so God increasingly shows that he always intended another way. It's not a plan B, he always intended another way. Let's see that, first of all, in Psalm 22. You can find it on page 554. This is worth turning to, I think, 554 in the church bible psalm 22 right in the middle of the bible now the beginning of psalm 22 will be familiar to lots of us because it's the words that jesus said uh, on the cross he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In the first half of the psalm, King David is astonishingly foreshadowing the sufferings of his descendant Jesus at the cross a thousand years before it happens. But what I want us to notice today is how the psalm ends. Let's pick up in verse 27. It says, all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him, for dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. 
All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, unborn, he has done it. It's the Great Commission, isn't it? Isn't this what the Great Commission is talking about? The suffering and death of the Messiah, the son of David, leads to people from all nations coming to know the Lord. Make disciples of all nations. And then this vision for the future is expanded by the Old Testament prophets. Isaiah chapter 2 talks about the mountain of the Lord's temple being established as the highest of all the mountains. It will be exalted above all hills and all nations, pantata ethne, will stream to it. In chapter 66, right at the end of Isaiah, God says this, Isaiah 66. And verse 18 God says, I will set a sign among them and I will send some of those who survive to the nations, to Tarshish, to the Libyans and Lydians, famous as archers, to Tubal and Greece, and to the distant islands that have not heard my fame or seen my glory. Distant islands, that is, like the British Isles. They will proclaim my glory among the nations and they will bring all people from all the nations to my holy mountain in Jerusalem as an offering to the Lord. And this is talking about the era we're living in today. Except instead of bringing all nations to Mount Zion in Jerusalem, actually the temple has been destroyed and has been relocated to the heavenly Jerusalem above. And every believer especially as we meet together wherever we are on earth. God's presence isn't especially today with the earthly Jerusalem there in the Middle East. Where is it? Well, it's here by the Holy Spirit. This is where God dwells on earth today. And spiritually speaking, we dwell with him in the heavens, in the new Jerusalem. God's presence is with us by the Holy Spirit and wherever God's people are found anywhere on earth. And so the original um, uh, forces that brought all nations into Jerusalem, the centripetal force inwards to the middle of the center of Jerusalem has now turned around to a centrifugal force, that is a force away from the center, driving disciples out to all nations and then bringing us in the unity of the Holy Spirit to fellowship with God in the heavens above. We don't have time now to turn to Daniel chapter 7, but there Daniel records a vision of one like a son of man, Jesus himself, being given authority and glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. 
In fact, his followers get to share that privilege as well. The sovereignty, power and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and his rulers will worship and obey him. This is what Jesus meant when he said last week, we saw him say, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Just what Daniel chapter seven was saying. This is the context of Jesus' command to make disciples of all nations. And so when we get to the New Testament, we start to see the age of fulfillment. We saw last week that the whole of Matthew's gospel, in fact, all four gospels, show that in Jesus, the nations start to come in. We saw the Magi, the wise men from the East, bowing the knee to baby King Jesus. We saw the faith of the centurion, the faith of the Canaanite woman, the feeding of the 4,000 at Galilee, the centurion at the cross. Do go back and listen to last week's sermon. If you missed it, I'm gonna resist the temptation to preach that sermon again today. Um, But you can download the audio file from the website or you can watch it on the church YouTube channel. The gospels show everything that went wrong back at the fall, back in the garden in Genesis. Everything is resolved and healed and made right in King Jesus. Satan, the great snake of the garden, is defeated. Disorder and death are overcome so that forming and filling can now begin in earnest. And the rift between man and God as humanity were banished from the garden of God's presence, that rift is healed as Jesus says, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Just to complete the picture after the Gospels in the book of Acts, the rule of the risen King Jesus starts to be applied by the apostles to all nations. Jesus tells them in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then through the book of Acts, we see that agenda unfolded progressively as we see regular summary statements, chapter two, verse 41 of Acts. Those who accepted Peter's message at Pentecost were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Chapter six, verse seven, so the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Chapter nine, verse 31, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers and so on. Through the book of Acts, we see the gospel going out and making disciples of all nations. And all of this reaches its climax in the future vision of the book of Revelation. The apostle John writes, in Revelation chapter seven. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, 
tribe, people and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So there's the grand sweep of the Bible's vision. From the formless and empty earth right back at the beginning to the beautifully ordered and full new creation at the end. From the first garden through to the garden city of the new Jerusalem. And we find ourselves today somewhere between Jesus' great commission and that last day vision of people from all nations standing before the throne of God in heaven. We are a partial fulfillment of the Great Commission. A foretaste of heaven, do you realize that? A gathering of people from many nations, 2,000 years after Jesus' first coming and 2,000 miles from Jerusalem. And just as we're a little demonstration of the Great Commission at work, we're also a little cog, a little staging post in that great work of passing the message of Jesus on to others. I'm sure Jesus has many more in this great city who have not yet bowed the knee to him. So do you see that the Great Commission is absolutely central to the eternal purposes of God. As we play our small part in making disciples of all nations, we are living out God's original purpose to fill the earth and subdue it. This work is not an add-on. It's not an optional extra for especially keen Christians. It's not just about the Apostle Paul or particular churches getting caught up in empire building. This is the original purpose of God. We are disciples who make disciples of all nations. And next week, we're going to see exactly what that means and how we can each play our own small part individually and as a fellowship together in that grand vision i hope you can come back and hear more then for now let me lead us in prayer jesus came to them and said all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Our Father, we thank you and praise you that you have established your King, your Son, we thank you and praise you, our Father, that he is the King of all nations. We praise you, our Father, that you've brought us together from all nations into that one people 
under the rule of King Jesus. We pray, dear Lord God, that you will thrill our hearts in being part of your eternal purposes and enjoying your eternal presence. We pray, our Father, that you will show us how to play our part in making Jesus known to many more in our own generation. In Jesus' name we pray.